0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Thanks very much, Dave. After seeing that video, even though I live in Vancouver, British Columbia, I'm signing up for Northern Lights uh, Community Group. that. I mean, they've just raised the bar right there in terms of food at a retreat, so that looks great. It's good to be here with you. I'm a Scotsman who became an American who Jesus uh, sent off to Canada, so just watch out. You might be sitting comfortably in your zip code and think you've got it all together, Uh, but Jesus is Lord of your zip code, and he may mess with your zip code, may mess with your career uh, to deploy you on his mission really appreciate Dave uh, as a friend and uh, as someone we got to know through seminary, through the Arrow Leadership Program. It was way back in 2010 when I was with you at your Wheaton College retreat. I remember that because uh, we were all cheering for Team USA against England, which isn't surprising because uh, I'm a Scotsman and I cheer for two teams, Scotland and anybody that plays England. And... Uh, <laughs> That was a particularly delicious game because the English goalkeeper uh, made a right clanger, so that made it even more precious to see a US goal kind of just roll in slow motion past a rodeo clown of a goalkeeper. So that was a that was a great deal of fun. And then uh, later on in 2010, Dave and I were in South Africa together. Now I'm a bit like uh, Jason Bourne. Uh, I'm a man with multiple passports. So I had a conversation with Dave about which passport I should take into South Africa. Should I use my U.S. passport? And Dave, always being proactive and scanning for possible scenarios, said, well, if there's an incident, who do you want to extract you from South Africa? I said, what? He goes, U.S. Special Forces. So I entered there with my U.S. passport. But while I was there, We were in this gathering of 4,000 leaders from a hundred and something, something, something countries. The Spirit of God kept descending on me and messing with me and my heart was being stirred and I'm weeping. During the worship, I'm being reminded of God's big global redemptive purposes. I'm hearing people share how they've put their lives on the line for the gospel. One bishop who spoke on boldness talked about how his wife was beaten within an inch of her life by an angry Muslim mob. And he went on to say they did unspeakable things to her. Then they burnt our house to the ground. And I'm sitting there with jet lag, but this guy has my full-on attention. And he says, And I keep the ashes of my house in a jar on my desk. And I thought, why in the world would you do that? And he said, why in the world would I do that? Because there's something more important than having a house. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're dealing with that. And then the whole thing came to a crescendo where the final night, it was like the Lion King meets Anglican Eucharist. So there are people in African garb kind of dancing in with the communion elements to different stations and we were lining up in different places in this gigantic auditorium to celebrate the Lord's Supper that Jesus, the bread of heaven, came to earth and was broken and his blood was spilled so that we could have access to God. And as I'm lining up, I had an aha moment that, hey, I can't even communicate with these people. Every one of us in the lineup was from a different country and spoke a different language. But I thought, wow, we're on the same team. And this is a foretaste of heaven. Because Revelation points to a time when every tongue, tribe, and culture will gather around the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world and sing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. And in the midst of all of this, I was pastor in an established church, which was a gong show, and in the midst of all of this, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, I'm redeploying you as an apostolic evangelist and I want you to work with Gord Fleming, who's now my boss, and I'm now in the thick of church planting and evangelism in Canada with a network called C2C Network. We get our our name from Psalm 72, verse 8, which says, he shall have dominion. From sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. Which is strangely enough the scripture actually inscribed on the peace tower in Parliament Hill in Ottawa, Canada's capital. So there's this funky idea that we're actually part of something bigger than church planting, church revitalization and evangelism. We want to see Jesus' kingdom expand. We want to see Jesus' fame and his kingdom spread from sea to sea. And we're currently involved in supporting 120 church plants from coast to coast. Last year we became North American, so watch out. We might be in your neighborhood, and we would invite you to pray for us. We're seeing God do some remarkable things, but Canada is a dark mission field. Quebec is the darkest piece of real estate in all of the Americas. Less than one-half of one percent of uh, Quebec would say, I am an evangelical Christian. Which means there's more evangelical Jesus lovers in the Islamic Republic of Pakistan than there are in Quebec. So it's a dark mission field. At the same time, we've got twenty four church plants there, and some of them consistently, maybe every week, every month, are seeing people come to faith in Jesus. And if you ask our regional director there, Patrice Nagon, he ho ho, why? Jesus is deploying workers into the harvest field, and God is being pleased to honor the proclamation of the gospel. He would say the Lord is answering the prayers of his people. And so we would invite you to pray for us. Luke 10, 2. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, that's only the introduction. So, you will know because you're a student of your bulletin, and some of you have set fire to it to stay warm in this cold gym that this morning's talk is called An Invitation to Renewal. See, the strange thing is you open the Bible from page to page, Scripture extends an invitation for us to encounter God, to experience him afresh, to renewal, to a deepening friendship and intimacy with God. In John 15, Jesus said something fascinating. He said, I call you friends. I do not call you servants, drones, lackeys, slaves, or minions. I call you friends. And the invitation of Scripture is to have a renewing, life-changing, ever-deepening friendship with God. But it's possible things have grown cold in your own heart, even colder than this gem. And maybe today, the Spirit of God wants to re-enamor you with the beauty and truth and power of the gospel. Maybe today, Jesus wants to recapture your affections. And maybe today would be the day that you would respond to the invitation of Scripture to return to your first love. If you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians 3, I'm going to read a prayer that's enshrined in Ephesians 3, Paul starts in Ephesians 3, 1. And he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes, squirrel, and he's distracted. And then he comes back to Ephesians 3, verse 14, and picks up on this eloquent, expansive, passionate, earnest, intense prayer. That actually in the Greek is one long sentence. So it's like an an intercessory barf. He's just agitated. And the prayer's of deep significance for the Ephesians. And therefore, if it's of deep significance for the Ephesian church, which he planted years before, it's of deep significance for you and me because it reveals the heart and mind and dream and design of God for all his people, all the time, everywhere. Everywhere. So Ephesians 3 verse 14, which is page 1169 in your stolen Gideon Bible. (laughs) For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it's true, that it's powerful. Uh, We pray that you would soften our hearts and that your word would gain fresh entrance into our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you say the words you speak are spirit and life. So we pray that we would hear your life-giving voice. Lord, speak to your dearly loved children in these moments we share in your strong and matchless name. Amen. So this morning, there's an invitation to renewal and I, I want to surface some questions for you. Are you captivated by the beauty and truth of the gospel? When I was growing up in Scotland, we used to sing a song in youth group. The old, old story, it is ever new. The old, old story. Praise the Lord, it's true that Jesus died for me as well as you. I love the old, old story. But maybe for you, the old, old story is old rather than fresh and new. That God, out of his grace and mercy, sent his own dear son, the Lord Jesus, on a rescue mission So that you could be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. This is what we celebrate this season in particular. That Jesus is Emmanuel. Now the the Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is kind of melancholy and it's kind of a lament. But really, we could celebrate that God has come to us. Jesus is the God who gave up home field advantage. We know in sports, which in the grand scheme of things is completely inconsequential, especially if you're a Chicago Bears fan. (laughs) We know in sports, home field advantage is huge. So for the Seattle Seahawks, they even have a flag that celebrates the the 12th man. And maybe if you watched NFL last week, you saw Chris Pratt acting like a demon-possessed orangutan waving around the 12th flag and they're cheering. And visiting teams uh, get delay of game penalties because that stadium becomes a cauldron of noise. So we know in the inconsequential, flimsy, overpriced, entitled, stupid world of sports, home field advantage, whether it's soccer, as Philistines call it, uh, which is actually real football because you play with your foot, whether it's (laughs) baseball which is really men in thermal underwear standing around doing nothing for three and a half hours, home field advantage is huge. And we celebrate that the eternal, uncreated Son of God gave up the sanitized home field advantage of heaven, the splendor and majesty and undiluted devotion of angelic worship, and became a tiny, vulnerable baby conceived of the Holy Spirit and he enters this world as God to the rescue this is what Paul says when he writes to Timothy the mystery of godliness the mystery of godliness is not that you a self-absorbed individual could somehow miraculously become Christ-centered and loving that's good news but it's a pale shadow of the real good news the mystery of godliness that the eternal, uncreated Son of God becomes fully human. To live the life that you and I cannot live for us in our place. You can't measure up. Don't try. Quit. Jesus has measured up for you. And he comes to be the baby who dies in our behalf. The shadow of the cross spills across that gurgling, crying, pooping little baby in a manger. Because he's the king who's born to die. And when 33 and a half years later, he dies on the cross, he utters spine-tingling words, it is finished. Because as we sang, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Sin had left that crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Some of the old hymns, which are clunky, and you've got to decode them, convey this powerful truth. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And because Jesus died and absorbed the wrath of God because Jesus died and took our sin, death and judgment upon himself and because God was pleased to raise his son from the dead and because he lives forever by the power of an indestructible life you can be rescued, forgiven, redeemed and you're enabled to cry Abba, Father. Father. That's the good news. That's the good news. So is the good news alive in your heart or does it sit like docile information inert in your cranium? Frozen propositions in the refrigerator of your head? Or does the beauty and truth of the gospel stir your affections? In this dense, dazzling passage that we read together, Paul makes a big, bold, passionate plea and that is, That the gospel comes alive in that Ephesian faith community yet again. And that they experience God's power, God's presence, and God's love. And here, Paul's posture, his body language is significant. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Normally a Jewish man would stand, maybe with hands raised, but he's kneeling because there's a sense of urgency and earnestness about his prayer. Tim Keller says, The Spirit of God can make the love of God so spiritually real and affecting that it changes how we live. He wants us to know the fact of Christ's love. Not to know the fact of Christ's love, but to have the power to grasp the infinity and wonder of it. This is what happens when the fullness of the Spirit is mentioned. The truth begins to shine out to us. We hear in our hearts, You are my child. And it makes us effective as ambassadors of the kingdom. So Paul prays that somehow the Ephesian hearts, and therefore God's dream and design for you and me, is that our hearts are ignited with this delicious concept that you are dearly loved children of God. As we eavesdrop on Paul's prayer, which he prays with intensity and expectancy, we are called to renewal. Paul prays this prayer, filled with gospel optimism. Ephesians 3.12 says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So this is how he's able to make such a bold, audacious prayer on behalf of the Ephesians. John Stott says, Paul has no doubt either that God has inexhaustible resources at his disposal Or that out of them he will be able to answer his prayer. He has full access and he has an agenda. So what's Paul's agenda? And therefore what's Jesus' agenda for you? At the heart of this prayer is a revelation that God wants to fill you to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. God invites you into a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3 16 says, Paul's prayer, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Ephesians 3, 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there's a sense in this prayer where he he prays for an increased capacity to receive from God and as a consequence, then God will release Holy Spirit, fullness and power into the lives of the Ephesians. God wants you to enjoy Holy Spirit, fullness and power. God's dream and God's desire and God's design is that you and I walk under a cloudless heaven. No barriers between you and our Father in heaven filled with an unquenched, ungrieved Holy Spirit. The Christian life isn't fake it till you make it. The Christian life isn't about earning and striving. The Christian life is about what God in Christ has done for us and what the Spirit of Jesus does in and through us. I heard Alan Redpath preach several years ago before he popped his clogs and got his promotion to heaven. And he, like many preachers, asked a question. Now, preachers don't want you to shout back. There's... uh, guido and luigi in the room who will drag you out if you start shouting back but he asked the question and then like most preachers he answered his own question he said what does god expect of you and i sat on wonder what the right answer is and alan redpath said nothing but failure i thought that's beautiful i mean that's good enough to leave with right now what does god expect of you Nothing but failure. You can live up to that lofty expectation. <laughs> I can. My name is Bill, and I am a failure and a wingnut. Praise his name. What does God expect of you? Nothing but failure. But then he goes on to say, Red Path does, he's given us the Holy Spirit that we need not fail. The Christian life is not self-improvement, but Christ's replacement And this leads me to a question. What is the quality of your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Gordon Fee called him, because the Spirit is not in it; He he's a person that we can have communion and fellowship with, he called him God's empowering presence. He's the one who actualizes the love and beauty and power and authority and presence and fragrance of Jesus in a repentant man or woman who becomes a child of God. He's the spirit of adoption who's implanted in you when you're born again. To as many as received him, gave you the right to be called children of God. And as dearly loved children, we can cry, Abba, Papa, Daddy, because of the spirit adoption. But what's your relationship with him? In John 7, Jesus dallies up to the Feast of Booths on the last day. The greatest and final day of the Feast of Booths. His brothers have said to him in the early verses of John 7, Hey, if you really are a big man on campus, you need to go up to Jerusalem for the festival. And he says, lads, my hour has not yet come. They go out the front door. Jesus goes out the back door shortly thereafter because he's following heaven's timetable. And there's divine significance in the fact that it's the last and final and greatest day of the Feast of Booth that he stands on the temple steps. For all the previous days, they went to the Pool of Siloam, they got great big jars with water and they would say stuff like, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then they dumped the water on the steps and the water would cascade down the steps and run away. On that last day, there's no water. Water is conspicuous by its absence. So everybody's thinking about H2O because there is no H2O. And then Jesus says, is anyone thirsty? Let them come to me and drink. And streams of living water will flow from their innermost being. And then John adds a parenthesis. This he said regarding the spirit who was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Are you thirsty? Do you know what it is to be energized by Holy Spirit streams of living water? Now, Paul's writing to these Ephesians, and that church was kick-started by a dramatic Holy Spirit encounter on a beach. You can read about it in Acts 19. There's 12 guys on a beach, and Paul gets up. Here's a great conversation opener. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, huh? We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, that's a problem. So what baptism did you receive? They said, John's baptism. Then he must have engaged in gospel ministry because after he did that, he baptized them. Believer's baptism. And Paul wouldn't baptize you unless you were a a believer in the Lord Jesus. And then after that, he lays hands on them. And the Spirit descends on them. They begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. I mean, that's a pretty dramatic start to a church. A dozen people dripping wet, prophesying, and yodeling, influence Wahili. Swahili. That's a great start to a church. But even after that dramatic encounter, that's in yesteryear, that's in the past. Paul says, I'm praying right now with intensity and earnestness in Jesus' name that you're filled with all the fullness of God. The Puritans used to have a prayer. Lord, give us fresh baptisms in the Holy Spirit. God wants you to experience more and more of His Spirit. What is the quality of your relationship with the Holy Spirit? And the second big idea, which is related to the first part of Paul's prayer agenda, is not only that the Ephesians experience the anointing of the Spirit in a fresh measure, but they're released into the affection of Jesus. Paul's prayer agenda is that the Ephesians are awakened to the immensity of God's immeasurable love. He prays that you might grasp how wide, how high, how deep. Didn't get that right. I'm going how high, how wide, how deep. The immeasurable, incomparable love. And then he says something bizarre. That you may know the love that surpasses knowledge. Who what are you talking about, Paul? I mean, what does that mean? It means that the love of Jesus for you is so furious, so relentless. It's immeasurable. It's like an ocean where there's no shore. It's like an ocean where there's no bottom. It's like a sky where there's no limit. You can't put a limit on the love of God because it's from everlasting to everlasting and it's not based on how holy, how sanctified, how disciplined you are. It's based on God's divine disposition towards you and God wants to immerse you in and awaken you to his immeasurable love. I mean we learned in Sunday school and Karl Barth said it's the greatest thought that ever went through his theological cranium Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. And God is love are three little words that can simply be in air data in your head. But God wants you to awaken to the power of his love and experience and taste and actually feel his love. The Lord Jesus wants you to step into and walk in an experiential realization and awareness of his great love and affection for you. Paul is praying and therefore revealing God's heart for you is that you're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. So he he does a double metaphor. He's getting so carried away with it, he's just killing metaphors and he, he fuses two metaphors together, an agricultural metaphor architectural metaphor he's saying I'm praying that your life your heart will sink deeply into the soil of the love of Jesus so that you will flourish spiritually and he's saying I'm praying that your life will be built on the solid unshakable foundation of this crazy fact that God loves you because he loves you because he loves you Jesus was launched into mission by the love of his father. He was loved into mission. How do I know that? At his baptism, Luke says, Jesus was praying, and as he was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. He hears. The voice of the Father. And the voice of the Father is filled with delight and tenderness and affection. And when he's in hand-to-hand combat with Satan in Luke chapter 4, it's this sense of his identity that Satan assaults. And it's the same for you, brother, sister, child of God. You go to work tomorrow, and what's Satan's master plan? To assault your sense of gospel identity. That you are a dearly loved, redeemed child of God. That what does the father say to you? Is the father frowning at you? No. All because of Jesus. He's grinning from ear to ear. And he looks down from heaven. And he says, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's gospel truth. Try and deconstruct this, but you won't be able to. The same affection that God the Father has for his eternal, spotless, perfect Son, the Lord Jesus, is the same affection that he has for you. The same affection and the same limitless, passionate love that the eternal Father has for the eternal Son is the love that God has for you. The eternal triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a circle dance of love. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. Jesus prays in John 17 that your love, the love that you have for me will be in them. In other words, his high priestly prayers that you will have a revelation and an experience of the love that the Father has for the Son, and that'll spill into your heart. The Spirit loves the Son, and the Son loves the Spirit. Now there's more to the divine nature than love. There's holiness and justice. And omnipotence and wisdom and unimpeachable integrity and competence. But we're talking about love because it's in the text. And the invitation to renewal is that you are wooed out of a sterile, arid, cerebral faith to a faith where your affections are ignited. Now, faith has a cognitive dimension, stuff you believe and an affective dimension that you feel. And we'll categorize it to make up for our own spiritual poverty. So, well, they're the touchy-feely types. Like, they're the hipsters that wear skinny jeans and and talk about their feelings all the time. And I'm a German engineer, Vorsprung technik. But there was a guy who was a philosopher, a mathematician, an inventor. And he had an encounter with Jesus that he wrote, and it was so memorable, he actually wrote it down and then sewed it into his jacket. Now that's weird. I don't know why you would do that. <laughs> Especially if you go to the dry cleaners and they destroy tissues, they will destroy your little note to yourself. But he said this, in the year of grace, 1654, long time ago, on Monday 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until about half past 12, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. My God and your God, joy, 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 tears of joy. Let me never be separated from him. We keep hold of him only by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet, Total submission to Jesus Christ. Eternally in joy for a day's training on earth. And his name is Blaise, Blaz Pascal. So his philosophical, brilliant mind and his open hungry heart are ignited like a fire by the love of Jesus. I've got a buddy. He's going to be with Jesus about two years ago. And I lost it when he died. He was such a dear, generous friend. He was a pretty unremarkable communicator, but he would go overseas with a wingnut, Danish, American, Pentecostal, crazy evangelist, and they would see loads of people come to Jesus, demons kicked out of people, lots of healings, and then you'd have them speak to your church and go, well, I'd give them four out of ten. I'd give them five out of ten. But God's hand was on him. He used his construction company as a cash machine for global missions. And he and I would get together with regularity. But when I moved to Canada, we got into a, a different rhythm. And then he began his private dark battle with cancer, which ultimately claimed him. But I remember one time we got together for a meal. And we hadn't been had seen each other for about 18 months. And his tone was different. I mean, he was always a great guy, but there was a tenderness in his voice. And he talked about God different. He didn't talk about God or the Lord. He talked about Papa. My Abba. What had happened to Todd Bevin? He'd been wrecked in a fresh way by the affection of Jesus. Several years ago, I went to a conference in Scotland in a basketball stadium, which is weird. Because Scotsmen don't jump. So I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they would even build a basketball stadium. And I went to this conference and there'd be teaching, there'd be worship, then there'd be teaching, then there'd be more worship, then there would be prayer. And that was kind of the, the rhythm of the thing. And it was like a bunch of uh, people from California, like Hawaiian shirts, and Jesus meets the beach boy, and they would sing love songs to Jesus. Someone would get up and speak for an hour, and then be ministry time. And then during one of the the worship times after a talk that was so memorable, I don't know who gave it, and I don't know what it was about, we were singing this song over and over again because, you know, it doesn't really take until you sing it like 17 times, right? (laughs) And the song was, Father, I can call you Father forever and always, I'll be your child. And I heard this guy losing it, like I heard this Scottish guy coming unglued, like, yelping, and weeping, and wailing, not a <laughs> whimper, but a full-throated, like sobbing, sobbing, and then I went, oh, it's me. <laughs> so it's me. Tears, snot, everywhere. And, and three things happened in close convergence. The eruption of noise and tears and snot. But I had a a flashback to when I must have been three years of age. And I was at my grandparents' farm. And I'm in a blue, rusty pedal car with flat tires because my grandparents hated me. And they said, here, have a broken car. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) And so I'm in this thing and I'm going nowhere. And my dad appears. And I had no recollection of that boyhood experience until that encounter in the basketball court. And my dad comes and he scoops me up, lifts little three-year-old belly, and he does a 360. And the whole time our eyes are fixed. And then the father whispers to me, that's just a dim reflection of the affection that I have for you. Now that was dramatic. That was an epiphany. And I don't always walk in that power of God's affection can fall in the ditch of self-loathing where the enemy wants us, even although the gospel says there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Or you're running so fast or so self-reliant, you're deaf to the whispers of your papa who says, I love you because I love you because I love you. And so the Ephesian prayer is that they experience Holy Spirit fullness and power that they come into a renewing relationship with Jesus, that their capacity to receive from God is increased so that they can be filled with all the fullness of God. And there's a convergence of two spiritual dynamics that roll through Scripture like a life-giving river, that you and I were intended not to live the Christian life as orphans, faking it till we make it, but we live out of the overflow of Holy Spirit fullness and power. And when we're filled with the Spirit, invariably, there will be power. But invariably, there'll be some kind of revelation of God's affection. How can I say that? Romans 5 verse 5. The love of God is shed abroad, poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what he loves to do. He loves to actualize the presence of Jesus and the affection of Jesus in your heart and mind. That's why Jesus said to disciples who are saying, boss, don't leave us. Boss, don't leave us. This has been amazing and crazy and we still don't understand half the things you're doing. How can you leave us? He says, it's better for you that I go, but I won't leave you as orphans. What's he saying? He'll send the comforter. He'll send the spirit, the spirit of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we had a guy come and service our our furnace our gas fire and now in winter out west we can actually experience full heat from our gas fire we've had the pilot light on 365 days a year but during the winter we want the full power and full heat if you're a child of god you're indwelt by the spirit that's an unshakable gospel fact if anyone has not the spirit of christ He's none of his. But are you filled with the spirit? Do you know what it is to walk in the full power, full heat, the heat of his affection, the heat of his presence? Let's stand. I'd like to pray. So I'd like to pray for you and then have an invitation to pray with you. Uh, Pastor Dave is wise and awesome and he says, there's a whole bunch of Asians in the house and Asians don't respond publicly. But I thought, maybe they'll give me a gimme because I'm an ignorant Scotsman who's interculturally inept. Or maybe whatever your cultural hardwiring and operating system, you would say with the old songwriter, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I want to pray for you and then give you an invitation. If you want to receive something of God's spirit in a fresh and new way, have your affections and passions for Jesus reignited. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. Pray that the spirit of God would come upon you and refresh you and renew you. And I'm not the only prayer ninja in the house. There's others. So I'd like to pray. And then I'd like to give you an invitation. We'll hang around for a little bit before they kick us out. And there'll be an opportunity to pray. But we're going to turn to God in music, in song, in a moment, as a vehicle of response. And in an atmosphere of turning our eyes to Jesus, uh, let's not be shy or bashful. If you came here dry and empty, God wants to fill you. If you're thirsty, Jesus says, hey, I've got streams of living water. And I want to release them into your inner landscape, your inner man, your inner woman promise of scripture is your soul will be like a well-watered garden father we love you we love you and we recognize our love for you is weak and flaky and fleeting and feeble but we love you back because you first loved us and we thank you for the full and greatest expression of your love is that Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission and died in our place we thank you that you were pleased to raise your son from the dead and we thank you Jesus and thank you Father that from heaven you've freely poured out your spirit and you want us to receive your spirit so that we can walk in your power and your affection so we pray Holy Spirit come come Holy Spirit come amongst us come into our unbelief come into our fear we thank you that perfect love drives away all fear And that you're the agent who releases that perfect love into our hearts. Come Holy Spirit. We're weak and frail and overwhelmed. We need your power. We need your presence. We want to be filled with the love and fragrance of Jesus. So Spirit we pray you would come. Refresh us. Revitalize us. Strengthen us in our inner being. That we might receive from the Father's generous hand. Amen so team's going to lead us in song we're going to linger around before we do tear down there'll be an opportunity for prayer but I think what I'm asking you to do is kind of atypical but if you want to receive prayer don't be bashful come and join me here on this scary looking eagle and uh, this place in the gym can be a place where heaven and earth come closer together and you could receive from a generous God and have your life reignited uh, with uh, Jesus' passion for you thank you